In today's Bible study, we're going to be working through the chapter of James 1. This is a key chapter in the Christian corpus. has always been considered as one of the best places to get into the New Testament because it is just filled with so much Christian messages. In fact, James was the letter which was introduced to me by a wise mentor of mine back all the way in primary school when I was around 8 to 10 years old. When I was asking him where should I start when I was reading the Bible, he always told me to go start with James because James was such a strong, had such a strong message of facing temptations, dealing with trials, dealing with persecution, how to seek wisdom, which are all key messages in the Christian faith. And as a result, I would like to work through this book with you and share some of the messages with you in this chapter. So let's get started with James 1. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Now, this is a very good place to start off with about the context of James. The fact that it was written to the 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad makes it a very important word. It is written precisely to Christians. It's not written for evangelism per se, but rather to develop people's understanding of Christianity, develop people's knowledge of the Christian faith, and also to understand and encourage people who may have been dispersed. So there's this idea of people who have been separated from the message, who have been separated from the core community of Christians, and this has been written to write to those 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. This is a very important verse to consider when we're thinking about our walks with Christ. When we're thinking about our Christian life, it's very easy for us to think, okay, we've become a Christian and it's become easy. The reality is we need to expect both good and both difficulties, both easy times and difficult times. In fact, sometimes there is going to be more difficult times than easy times in our lives, but that is part of the story. That is part of our Christian walk. And when we do face those trials, when we do face those tests, it's important to understand that we have to prove ourselves. We can't be weak. We cannot then just back down and say, well, I'm not built for this. The reality is, is that we are built for this and we are called to follow God. We are called to seek the kingdom of God. And when we're being God's servants, when we're seeking his kingdom, it is only reasonable that God would test you to put challenges in your path to make sure that you are able to develop with him and develop in your relationship with him. And that's a very important message to keep in mind. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that's a very important part as well, because not only should we expect those trials, we should also expect to be patient with them. When we're going through those difficult situations, it's very easy, and I'm guilty of this too, to always pray and expect it to be end to end very quickly. We're like, well, all right, the trial has begun. I want it to be done by the end of this week or the end of this month. I can't deal with this no more. The reality is sometimes those trials, sometimes those difficult periods last for a long time. Maybe they last for a few months. Maybe they even last for a year, maybe a few years. Sometimes those ups and downs, those downs can go through a very long time. And in those situations, it's very important that we endure through it, that we are able to allow that endurance, that, that test, to, to allow us to develop our virtues of patience, of wisdom, of trusting in God, because God's trust of course, it's very easy to trust God when things are going well. But when things are going bad, do we trust God? That's a test of patience. That's a trust of our love for him. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. Are we able to step into that mold of being? Are we able to step into the shoes of someone who loves God, who's able to follow him, even through those difficult times, even if it's very low, even if it's very difficult for a long period of time? But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, 
for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. This is a very important passage because it does tell us that if we are struggling, if we find it to be difficult to carry out our tasks, we should pray to God. We should pray to God to give us patience, to give us wisdom, to give us these virtues. Now, of course, when we're praying to God to give us a strength, it's not only an asking of him to say, well, all right, I want my problems to be solved. Sometimes when you're asking for strength, God will give you a test. Sometimes when you're asking for a, a development of patience, you will be forced to be patient. Virtues are not given to you immediately because that would be nothing. They're normally developed. So sometimes when we're praying for that wisdom or for that endurance, sometimes it doesn't mean that that solution arises immediately. Sometimes it means that we have to keep on working, that we have to work for a longer period of time. And that's something we have to bear in mind. We have to be patient. We also have to have faith when we're praying. Because that faith is a very important thing, remember. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. We cannot doubt when we ask for these things. Doubt is going to seep into everything. The moment you start doubting is the moment that everything will fall apart. It's important that we ask for God in faith, that we believe. And that faith, even the size of a mustard seed, can move mountains. And in the same way, we all have to ask for God for, with faith to give us those virtues so that we can overcome the trials that he's given us. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man to glory in his humiliation, because like flower and grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. This is a very important passage because it does show we cannot be double-minded. We cannot ask for, for God, but at the same time, demand it from God. It, and in some sense, you could say, well, there might be a bit of an inconsistency with the previous verse that we looked at, that God gives generously. But there is no inconsistency here. What is being presented here is that when we're asking from God, we're not demanding him or subjecting him to our expectations. We're not subjecting him to who what, or what we desire to accomplish. He's not a deus ex machina for us to say, well, I want to be a billionaire. I'm going to pray to God and then demand God to accomplish my desires. No, you have to work towards it. You have to trust him. You have to work within the boundaries of Christian faith. You have to love him. And that goes back to the idea of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. We're not asking, we're not being called to be terrified and absolutely horrified at God, but rather the fear is the fear of respect, a fear and trembling at the at the divine might of God. And when we're looking at God, it's very important to, for us to understand that he's not a human. He's not like your parents who you can bargain with and demand certain things and say, well, all right, maybe if I do X, Y, and Z, you'll give me a bit more pocket money. That's not what you should do with God. He's not a hu another human being who you're just going to negotiate and try to take advantage of or switch their minds, or change your minds. That's not the position we should be when we're in face of God. What we should be doing is saying, well, all right, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be serving you. I'm going to be following you. I'm going to be praying with, to you in an open heart. And we're going to see where that goes. It's a process. It's a process of wrestling with life, with the struggles of life. And through that wrestling, you're able to develop your virtues. And that's what James is trying to get here. Verse 12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one when is tempted, when is, he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. 
Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. This is a very important part of the Bible. Firstly, you have blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. We've talked a bit about that previously. It's through trial that we're we're being developed. It's through trial that we're able to understand ourselves and our relationship with God. Because when I'm talking to a lot of friends, especially younger students who I mentor, I always tell them, especially in their romantic relationships, you shouldn't be searching for a certain attribute of that individual to be in a metric of, well, okay, this person has scores 10, 5, 6, 7 on the attributes of beauty, loyalty, trust, and patience, or whatever it is, right? What you should be focusing on is how does your relationship with that person make you feel? What is your relationship to the relationship with that person? And that's the same with God. The moment we try to turn to God and say, well, okay, my conception of God is, well, he is 10 out of 10 on patience, 1 out of 10 on kindness, 3 out of 10 on love, and maybe I could improve things here. That is already where sin arises. That's already where you're going to fall away from God. You love and trust God when you're opening your heart to him. When you're saying, well, okay, I want a good relationship with you. I'm going to persevere under trial. I'm not going to challenge you. I love you because that attitude is the most important thing in my life. That is what it means when it says you will receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to those who love him. It is that loving relationship with God, that trust, which allows us to bear our cross and carry our cross. Carrying on, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. And that's a very important thing. When God is putting a trial in front of us, he is not tempting us into sin. He's giving us an opportunity to do good or to do evil. If we fail and we end up doing evil instead of good, that is not us being tempted by God. That is us failing to the challenge that God has put us, which could have allowed us to do good. And this is something which a lot of atheists and a lot of skeptics cannot wrap their mind around, which is the idea of, well, why would God give us something? Why would God put the tree in the, in the garden, which might lead to evil down the line? Well, because that's the purpose of a test. That is the purpose of a trial. When you're given a trial, you have a chance of success or failure. If a teacher gives you a test, there's a chance of success or failure. What's the point of a multiple choice questions quiz? There's only one answer and the answer is correct all the time. The trial gives forth the potential for you to improve yourself, but also for the potential for you to mess up and fall. And that's why James is saying God does not tempt you. He is trialing you. He's putting you on trial to see how well you can improve, how well you walk with him, how well you can trust him. So don't say, oh, I've sinned because God has trialed me. No, you sinned because you have failed. That is what James is telling us. Now to verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This, you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, this is a very important passage because what it is saying is that we have to give thanks from God. We cannot be proud. We cannot be angry when things don't go well. When things are going well, we praise God. And when things are going poorly, we also should be praising God. The good and the bad are all in this world, and we have to struggle with it. We have to improve ourselves. We can't let the evil, the, the suffering, the anger in this world, allow us to get in the way of our relationship with God. 
Now, one thing which is very interesting here as well is when it says everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is a key part of the Bible because a lot of times we're saying, okay, slow to anger, that makes sense. Also, slow to speak. The word is a very important thing, and that's why this, this channel is called the Sacred Word. It's, it's surrounded the divine logos, which is the Bible. But also, we take part in creation as well. We take part in the creatio ex nihilo. We speak things into being, and we need to give credit and reverence to the words we speak. We need to have weight to it so that when things happen, we are taken seriously and that we're not throwing our words everywhere because that will not lead to a good position. So if you've been enjoying this video so far and find it helpful, then sh please share this message with other church members, with your family, with your friends, and to those who you might think that this message can help and can reach. That is the goal of this YouTube channel, to spread with you a deep appreciation and understanding of the Bible together so we can work together towards Christ. Also, of course, if you want to support this mission, it will mean a lot to me if you like and subscribe. And also, let me know your thoughts, your inspiration, what you learned from today's Bible study in the comments below. Let's carry on with verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. This is a very important part of the Bible. We cannot just expect to read the Bible and do nothing. The Bible is a call to action. A lot of problems in modern Christianity is that people are so inactive. People don't act on what God is telling us in the Bible. People don't act on what the Bible is saying. We hear a lot of things being taught in the Bible, a lot of moral truths about certain things being right and certain things being wrong. And then we go to society and out of fear of other fear of, of, of what other people may think of us, we just throw what we learn from the Bible away and say, well, I'm just going to accept what, whatever society is telling us to do. That is clearly wrong. We have to turn back to what James is telling us to say, well, when we hear the Bible, when we're reading, when we're learning from the word of God, we're able to challenge society. We're able to do the right thing. And that's the most important thing. Now, the next part is um, in verse 25. We have three more verses to go. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not by having become a forgetful, hear forgetful hearer, but an effective doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now, this is a very important thing, because what is being said here is that, well, the law of liberty, it's a law of freedom. A lot of people look at the Bible, especially the Old Testament, which we'll be talking about in a later video, in a later Bible study. And we look at the Bible and we're saying, well, Actually, this Bible, it's, it's, it's so constraining. It's giving us a rule. It's, it's giving us the law which we cannot hold. That's not a thing that we should be entering into. That's not the correct mindset. God wants us to freely love him. That's why he's given us a choice of freedom to fall away from him as well. And that's why he gives us a Bible so that we can follow rules and follow him in a right way, which leads to freedom. Because if we take away the Bible, what do humans become? Humans then begin to worship ourselves. We begin to love ourselves too much. And when we deify man, when we make men gods, then we're no longer free because we've subjugated ourselves to a man. And throughout history, we've seen time and time again what happens when those things occur. We see the Hitlers, we see the Maos, the Maos and all these people which have arisen whenever humans deify other humans. And that's not something which we want to do. We only become free when we're subjugated under God and not man-made standards. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in sight of our God and Father is this, to visit or orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is a very important thing and these are two messages which are very important to keep in mind. 
We cannot just think about ourselves to be religious and not actually work for it. We have to be true to ourselves. We have to have integrity. We have to be true to the values that we preach, true to the values that we believe in. So many people aren't true to themselves in the world today, but this is where Christianity is the true message. We know it's true because everyone can achieve it. It's not saying, like the prosperity gospel, that people who are rich are blessed by God. It's not saying that you could buy your way into heaven. It's, it doesn't give advantage to one person over the other. It's a measure of integrity. Who is true to yourself? Who is true to Christ? Those are the things which matter in Christianity, and that's why it's true. You, we know Christianity is true because while everyone can be integral to themselves, everyone can have integrity. The poor person in the street can have integrity. The rich person in the street, in, in his mansions, in his Ferraris, can have integrity as well. That's why the Christian message is true. And that's what James is telling us to do. That through our lives, through our experience of the world, we still have to stay true to our message. And that is the message I want to leave you off today. That's it for this Bible study. I hope you've enjoyed this Bible study together. Let me know your thoughts and comments about the passage or this video in the comments below. And let me know your thoughts there. Like and subscribe to the channel and hit the bell notification if you want to stay up to date with more Bible studies and the work that we are doing at the Sacred Word YouTube channel. Stay safe, my friends. God bless, and I'll see you soon. Thank you for watching, and goodbye. I'll see you next one.